Welcome to episode five of Footy Chat. It's almost an anniversary in a sense because we've made a uh, we've made a landmark. We're at episode five already. I'm Justin Chambers. With me again is, as always, we've got our Pete, Anthony Rondo, we've got uh, Jason Kisslinger. Gus can't join us this week. It is his birthday. We do want to have a quick little happy birthday to Gus. A gentleman, in the words of Max Powers, a.k.a. Homer Simpson, strap yourself in and feel the G's, because this week we got a lot of things to talk about. Right out of the gate, I want to welcome the uh, the newest, well, I guess the honorary member of NAMBLA, who's uh, Cristiano Ronaldo this week, came out on Twitter and said, thank you for all participating in the CR7 Boys Underwear competition. It's been a real pleasure to see all of your photos. <laughs> you know, <laughs> They would kind of just say, I told you so, you know, <laughs> if you read any forums online and stuff, this kind of banter goes around all the time, so I think this is exactly what <laughs> a lot of, you know, closet soccer fans who sit at home on their laptops wanted, for sure. Do you think, uh, do you think anyone, like, talked to him before he put that out, like, maybe check the wording a little bit, because it, it kind of comes off a little odd? No, he's CR7, he does what he wants, right? <laughs> and I mean, he is pretty, um, his English is pretty good, yeah. I should say. <laughs> I think it's kind of more of a cultural thing. You know, I jest. It's, it's just a joke. It's just obviously funny in the wording how he said it. Gary Lineker came out this week. There's a little article that he wrote for the BBC. And it's talking about, like, maniacal parents are the detriment to English football. And he's got a point. But the weird thing was about that article is that it didn't really seem to focus too much on maniacal parents. Mostly just on the whole idea of, like, the culture of, of football at the youth level, how the English system is... More developed on uh, the long ball to the big players, as opposed to letting the little, the little smaller, more agile players develop their technicality or the, the technical side. Long balls, you got long ass balls. I've got long balls, doctor. You seen his balls, right? W- would you say my balls are unusually long? I think there was a lot. T- to be honest, I think like there was there was something that wanted to be said by Lineker himself, and then maybe even the BBC with a headline like that wanted to kind of make their own statement on the issue. Right. And you know, really, I can I can agree with both. Like you know, here in Canada, we see. The, the poor level of grassroots football in our country and how it really trans and how we really transform that on the international stage and you know what in England it's it's really come to that as well I mean you know not on the same level as Canada I don't really know what other country in the world is but you know in, in the UK they obviously have an issue with developing you know skilled talented players you know there was a there's a lot of people who say you know the the most skilled English midfielders are just very like average second or third division Spanish players, right? And you, you see these kids in Brazil and Spain and you really wonder what, you know, are we teaching our kids the wrong thing? But yes, it also does come back full circle to the parents. And, you know, if, if you enroll your kids in any child, in, in any youth sport, uh, I think it's important that you let the trainers or these paid coaches do their job and you stay on the sideline. If you were that great of a coach yourself, why don't you just train your child? And I see this happen all the time. I coach at a youth level and, you know, parents want to do your job for you. Well, why don't you coach your kid yourself then? You know, and I, I think it's a big issue and where parents, you know, they, they feel the need to be outspoken because they paid a certain amount of money for their kids to do certain things. And if they don't feel it's in their interest for their kids to be doing, you know, what you're trying to teach them, well, then they try to speak out against it, not realizing that maybe there is an end goal or objective to, to what you're doing. So, yeah, we have we have some, like, you know, serious egos amongst parents. And, you know, how, how do you really get rid of that? It's, it's in our culture, especially in the English culture, right? People are very outspoken. It almost says a lot about the failure of a of a person when you become a parent because you're living vicariously through your child. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it also goes to show uh, like basically um, 
not really understanding the game in its entirety. I mean, the, every, every, every parent wants their kid to be to score the goals, not really understanding what it takes to score a goal and the development of the play. And I mean, it does cause a lot, cause a lot of dissension within the, the, the parents, within the kids, within the kids. There's, there's so many different relationships that are affected, ultimately affected from it, and it does skew the children' perspective of the game and love for right. the game, right? And um, not really kind of understanding the game at all. Now, in terms of the long ball culture, it's still you got a bunch of long ball Larrys, and you know, on England, and I mean, they are phenomenal. I mean, playing long balls, right. but I mean, in terms of does it work? No, I mean, fucking is it. You know, I mean, Gerard, Lampard, Beckham, they can fucking pick out, they can pick you out from fucking a mile away. Right. You know, but um, there's really no, there's no spice in their game. I mean, the, I, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't really see. It's very one-dimensional and boring. Like, yeah, I know, exactly. You know, like, in modern football, I, I think we've, we've totally moved out of that. You know, we're not, we're not drinking whiskey and smoking cigarettes at halftime anymore, you know? Right. It, it's, it's not like it was 40, 50 years ago. There, there's obviously a lot of athleticism that is involved in the sport and like, and, and the way the English still go about it. Yeah, it's questionable, you know? And, but again, you know, with, it kind of then that all goes back to the FA and you know we could really sit here for another two hours and just talk about the FA alone so let's not get into the politics of English football because I think that's what is really ruining English football you do and I mean there is a, a there is really an evolution in terms of English football that I've seen and I mean I right. can a case in point again I'll try to be as impartial as possible but I mean <laughs> with German football I mean they have changed their style of play in terms of the evolution of the game. Right. And, I mean, it's fun to watch. But, I mean, again, it just seemed that, I don't know, the, the English team has been kind of stagnated in this one-dimensional play. You both kind of, like, took the words right out of my mouth because I was I was saying the same thing. Like, Anthony, you said it perfectly, the, the modern game. Uh, you know, the English created it many moons ago, but every other team has adapted, or every other country has adapted and, and changed it. And England's style originally just, it, it's not relevant anymore and it's not quite as effective as maybe it once was. Yeah, you know, seriously, like, they're using, like, dial-up internet, you know, in the 21st century, right? <laughs> or, or whatever, you know, like, or, like, those dial round touch... I, I don't even know. I wasn't even born when we used those old phones. You never like, had a rotary like, phone? Uh, I don't think so, no. <laughs> so, you know, when when we have, like, iPhones and Androids and stuff, you know, they're, they're in, like... A, they have to really pick, you know, get with the times. And, again, it goes back to the, to the FA and... We saw in, a, in, a, in an autobiography, I don't know if anyone saw any excerpts this week or not, about Harry Redknapp and the England job and how, you know, the FA picked Hodgson because he was a more, he was more suited to their mold of a typical manager, right. you know. And, and looking back, and despite what you think or don't think about Harry, like, you know, it's true. They, who is Hodgson, really? What? You manage <laughs> Fulham, dude. Come on. You know. well, anyway, it's okay. They have Townsend now. so He did take look Sweden to the World Cup at one point. but uh, Right. Um, I just see a lot of, like, I mean, a lot of carbon copies of one another in terms of, of English football. There isn't really any... There's always that like-for-like like replacement, but that's... Exactly, really, yeah. and I mean, like I said, accurate accurate passes, excellent dead ball hitters, but I mean, in terms of just kind of developing the play and just having that, that X factor, I, 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 I just don't see that. Um, or I haven't seen that in English football. Wilshire might be the the hope for having that, that new flair creative midfielder, but no, it's still a long, and long I mean, way the, to go with the, him. The, the goalie situation, let's, let, let, let's not go there. I mean, Joe Hart has been... <laughs> we'll get to him yeah. later. So. <laughs> Another interesting thing came out of the, the news this week, too, is that in November, France is going to hold a strike. I believe it's for four games. I forgot to put down the number here. 
uh, over a, a tax route because the French government wants to impose a 75% tax on anyone who earns over 1 million euros. I say it's, it's impressive for a government to actually come down on, on high earners because if you know, the same sort of thing was done to like, even the slightest degree over North America, we would see a completely different society over here. Um, but 75%? Like, it's France. Like, you know, if anybody knows anything about geography, like, we, we know these things. This happens in Northern Europe. And, and, it's, and France is oh, a sure, very socialist, sure, yeah. you know, oriented country where, you know, everyone was kind of, like, to be perceived as kind of equal or, or whatever. For athletes, it's tricky because, like, you're bringing a lot of foreigners in, right? This is These are not only yeah. French people. So people that don't understand that culture, per se, you know, it's it's going to be very difficult, right. I think. So And and it could be it could be to the detriment of their, their their entire game because that's what's bringing in these ripples. You look at guys like Zlatan. Les Zlatan. It's mostly because of the, the wages he's on that he's there. So if suddenly... You say to them, oh, yeah, well, you come play in our country, but 75% of everything you just made is going back into the country. Right, and I mean, in a game where it has seemed a little bit more sensationalized and glorified, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there is a sense of pride in terms of who brings home the bigger paycheck. Right. Well, there, I guess there is already the issues there with Monaco and the fact that they're, they're tax-exempt from France, so their current team, they're actually making quite a bit more money than the squads and, like, and, and like the Parises and stuff like that, so... Uh, which is why you saw Falcao kind of go to Monaco instead of any other place because of tax exemption. I'm just going to say this. Fergie is a fucking cunt. He, his autobiography is just sticking it to everyone that's anyone that's ever been anybody. I'm surprised he hasn't shat on Cantona yet, but who knows, maybe that's still yet to come out. We'll go through each one of these points kind of one by one. The first one that I got here, it, he's got a point, but it's still like, it's a dick move. He, uh... He was talking about Rooney and how it seemed like his the reason why he was kind of thinking about getting rid of him is because he saw that his thrust was gone because he's not very fit. He's never been a very fit player his entire life. I, I've heard through someone about uh, a personal trainer talking to Rooney, not knowing who Rooney was, with his shirt off and saying, Hey, uh, do you used to live at home, right? And he's like, yeah. It's like, is your room still kept there? And he's like, yeah. So if I called your mom, like, she would know what's in your room? He's like, yeah. So can you call your mom and ask her where your fucking abs are? Yeah. <laughs> I don't see the, the, the need to shit on Rooney after you've you've walked out the door. Well, I mean, one thing that I find admirable in anybody and is how candid that they can be. And Fergie has always been one who just, you know, leaves it all out on the table. He doesn't hold any punches. In terms of a cheap shot at Rooney, we're going to get into like, you know, the anatomy. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, you know, some, some people's bodies work for them. And I mean, yeah, he does look fat. He doesn't have the Cristiano Ronaldo, the athletic figure, no. but I mean, he can fucking run like a motherfucker. And I mean, like you look at Gerd, like the bomber Mueller, like, yeah. you know, this guy was just a short stubby little fucking German and I mean that guy could just run circles around you and I mean he didn't have that that physique of a striker but I mean he used his body to the best of his advantage and he knew exactly what would work for him well and even Rooney he's like he's a powerful little player too like it's it's hard to knock him off a ball and part of that comes down to is is a little bit huskier physique and really any truly good football they talk about even with defenders that eventually you don't need to be fast just need to be smart and know where to be and maybe Rooney hasn't done it so much on the national stage, but he's obviously proven he's scored for United just in the league games. He, he scored 145 goals in 286 appearances for United. It's 51% goal scoring ratio. Right. right. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's just kind of a more of a superficial thing and what a- athletes are supposed to look like these days. But, I mean, I compare him to Phil Kessel. 
Yeah, you know, look at Phil Kessel. That guy's physique doesn't leave much to much to the <laughs> eye. But no. I mean, that guy can skate like a motherfucker. He can score. So. And he gets the job done. Who the fuck gives a fuck what your physique looks like? <laughs> but was it really on his physique, or was it like more of just you know a comment on like his fitness, saying you know he he wasn't maybe the player that we once knew or that you know I once knew at United, managing him for whatever several years. Fergie is a cunt. Obviously, he's a top manager for the things he did. I think we can only have like respect for. But you know, at the same time, I, I think Roy Keane's mother was uh, was angry about the comments that Fergie made about Roy Keane in in his autobiography, and yeah. she was she wanted a personal call from <laughs> Fergie to apologize to her. It looks like she's just you know she has the same attitude as Roy Keane. So it was his book, it was his story. It was I mean he probably had a fucking lot of stories to tell in the whatever twenty something years of managing. Right. So I I personally think after reading what the little excerpt that I that I read about it is that it kind of came more down to not so much that he talked about Keane being a very harsh player with with the within the team you know getting into bus stops with players like he, he spoke about one incident where uh keen and, and vanessa roy were in the dress room and he had to pull them apart but really when i look at it it's almost as if you read the quotes and you kind of look at keen's personality and fergie's personality it almost seemed like it was because keen was starting to impose his own power on the club and fergie's very much always been the manager controls the club no player but you know, Keen always—you can always tell—he had the ambition to maybe one day replace Fergie at United, imposing your 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 power and, right. and your role, and, and I mean, you're pulling rank on him. And I mean, I don't know, did did, did Fergie feel threatened? By, That's by what Keen, I wonder. Maybe they were too much alike, and I mean, their personalities kind of clashed in in a sense. But I I've thought about it a lot, and what it really must be to manage a club of of that stature and, and experience the things that he has. You know, I don't think any of us can really sit here and say that we can relate to anything that he has ever done. You've never been the center of, like, you know, almost like the sports universe in, in, in many ways, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, none of us will ever know that. So to, to deal with all those egos, like, I can just imagine what any manager of Real Madrid, you know, has to deal with, with all those egos in one room, and especially with, sure. with no yeah. stability, having, you know, managers only there for maybe one or two seasons, where, you know... Every time there's a new manager, it's kind of a free for all amongst the players, right? Of who can really yeah. prove that they're ready to step into, you know, in the starting squad or whatever. So, you know what? I, I think it's kind of cool that he brought some of these stories to like to the, to the limelight in a sense. And yeah, it looks bad for those who he kind of spoke negatively about. But you know what? Whether we knew about them or not, they still happen. So, you know, it, it's it's kind of cool to get an insight on, on some of these things that happen behind the scenes that you know we really don't see every Saturday, you know, every Saturday morning or Sunday morning. Well, here's the one that ruffled my feathers the most because it's not someone in his club, someone that he deals with all the time. It's uh, this is just purely down to opinion. I think it's just you know the everlasting United giving the cheap shot to Liverpool. He came out and says that he didn't think Gerard was a top top player. Maybe we'll go back to the whole like similarity thing of players going back to the whole England thing, and maybe that's the way he views it. Like, what do you consider a top top player? Are you talking about like an Iniesta or something? You know, or yeah, and that's a kind of like you right. know the generation now we can go back further or whatever you want to do. But is that a top top player to you? Like, what really is a top top player? Eh, it's well, just like yeah, you know, potato potato, like, right? Like it's eh. no for sure different strokes for different folks. And I'm I'm not gonna lie, I kind of siloed myself in that. I have my that view of Gerard Lampard, a lot of English players like that. But that wasn't my style of football that I appreciated right. and liked. To me. Their style was kind of bland and whatnot, but then I started to kind of get an appreciation for it the more I saw their impacts on their, on, like, not only on the field, but off, like, you know, off the field as well. So, I mean, was he overreact? I think it's more of a, more of a dig, but I mean, the, the numbers in Gerard's career kind of speak well, on. He, he single handedly pretty much won the FA Cup in 2006. 
So I don't know. the release date of this book. Do you think that that was uh, like premeditated? premeditated? Kind of? Yeah, yeah. Is he trying to get in people's heads? Always, constantly being the mind game player. Moyes hasn't got off to the greatest start, and right. I mean there is a lot of distension within the ranks. They're kind of wanting to get, maybe get some of the focus off off the team itself, and back into Fergie as always. So moving into our favorite part, first game we uh, we kind of paid attention was Bayern versus the Zen. I personally, I don't know. I'm sure it's happened before, but. I can't remember last time that not only did the team outplay another team so bad, but also keep them from no attempts on goal whatsoever. 34 attempts on goal from Bayern and zero from Pazen. This the kind of begs the question, I guess the whole point, is that does the Champions League need a reshuffle? Because if we have this this disparity in, in talent and, and, and ability on the pitch, do we need? I think we need a reshuffle, and it doesn't involve doubling the number of teams in, in the Champions League like Platini's talking about doing. I think Bayern at one point started feeling sorry for the the other team, and I mean, and it would never. make it it make it a different talking point if, if right. Bayern I mean, were to For instance, I mean, Bayern manhandled uh, Barcelona, right. right? I mean, they didn't have any intent of slowing down on that, and that's the more what fun is they didn't just fucking make mockery out of a team and you can just beat them shorthand. You know, I mean, Bayern could have fucking play, played with eight men and fucking beat them. <laughs> Another thing that kind of came out of the match, what reminded was uh, the match versus Mines, right, Jay? With Robin in the penalty kick? Yeah. So, rewind it for a second. What what happened in, in that match? Robin wanted to take the penalty kick. Yeah. And uh, Pep Guardiola told him not to, so he fucking threw a hissy fin through the ball. <laughs> and um, then we got, uh, he, drew, he, drew, he actually drew a penalty kick at Champions League against uh, whatever the fuck that Against Plazen. Against Plazen. And uh, <laughs> they went to give him the ball. Yeah, like and he you, you could see yeah, Pep on the sidelines like, no, give, give it, it to him, him. Give, him give the it ball. to him. And uh, Ribery went to give him the ball and then he fucking wouldn't take it. So, I mean, that shit, <laughs> you know, that's the Dutch. That That's, it's, it's an ego thing, yeah. you know. No, Robin's fucking immature. I mean, him and Ribery, they have like, you know, love-hate relationship. Like, they, they, they get out of each other's throats, man, in the change room. You know, I, I wanted to see Robin take the shot because, I mean, you know, the guy's still cursed for missing the, you know, the, the penalty shot against Chelsea yeah. two years ago in the champ, you know, and uh, an extra time. Robin's fucking, he's a baby, he's immature. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's unsportsmanlike. I don't think yeah. anybody wants to see that. You're representing the current champions of every major cup in Europe, and that's how you, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't know. That's uh, That blows my mind to see, like, people like that, you know, it's... I don't know. That's that's crazy. And I mean, does Pep really have a decision to make there? Like, do you really want to be seen as that manager who allows those things to happen in your team? Like, Pep's move to Bayern was probably the most anticipated managerial move. As you know, maybe second with who's going to replace Fergie at United. Yeah. Do you really want that in your squad? Does that show a little bit of lack of trust, maybe, or lack of faith in the manager himself? Like, what does Pep really do from there? Like, I don't. know. That's a strange situation to me. No, and I'm I'm, I'm interested to see how it kind of pans out, and then you know, in the upcoming weeks. I mean, Robin was subbed off uh, twenty second minute I don't know if it was if, if it was injury related or whatnot but I mean Robin is a high maintenance player you know I mean Hanky's had a problem you know managing him I mean he's gonna do what he wants he's a very temperamental player as well so was Ribery and I mean I think Ribery has grown and matured as a as a player but Robin he's always gonna have that uh, that temperamental part of his game Ribery just kind of Stole the spotlight last year, you know, and rightfully so. I mean, Robin's oh, phenomenal, Robin's but fucked up like a million times. <laughs> Think about the hangover that he had, you know, missing that fucking penalty kick against Chelsea. You know, what credit to him? He did come and re- redeem himself. He did in the redeem final. himself, and I mean, Robin's always been the bridesmaid too, right? Phenomenal watch, the flopping. 
that, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of, and it's theatrics, but, uh, you know, you know he's going to his left, and, and fucking there's nothing, there's nothing you can do about, you can do about, about it. it. One yeah. trick pony, yeah. The next awesome part was Zlatan with four just amazing goals, and each goal just got better than the next. He really is a Swedish ninja. <laughs> he is starting to show that, and I mean, his finesse and touch with the ball doesn't match his... His physique doesn't come across as having that deft touch, that finesse, you know? But, man, like, he just does shit and it just fucking Incredible, works. Incredible, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> what do you say about any of those goals? I think besides one, I think the first one where it was kind of just a, a tap-in. Yeah, the first uh, yeah, one was just a little right. pass across the yeah. box. But then the second one just belts it from a million miles away. Yeah. Was that the third one? Yeah, yeah the, the third second one was, the was a little back heel yeah. one, right? Yeah. 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 And then the last one was he just smashed it off the bar and into the net. And that, that right there, that's even a hard one to hit properly because it's, it's all about hitting with the right spin on the bar and hoping it doesn't pop out the other, the other way. Moving to what we kind of foresaw as like the biggest game of the Champions League this week. And Robert Lewandowski goes and breaks some Gunners' hearts. He's my best friend, by the way, Lewandowski. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did exactly what I've wanted to do my whole life. To Arsenal and just you know it was a great game man. and it, I think Borussia was just more disciplined to be honest can, can yeah. we say that they were more disciplined like you know to, to the end they actually they were consistent and it's crazy to think where they've come in the past like few years you know from from where to where and just so much composure just all you know all their players they play well as a team I think that's first and foremost important especially for a team who wants to do well in Europe you know we see these things happening with like Robin and things in, in Madrid you know last week Cristiano trying to kick off someone's face and like yeah. you know they, they, these little things like they, they don't contribute to the real dynamic of a team and you look at Dortmund and like you don't hear about these guys in the news and doing stupid things like you know they're just a good woven they're squad good, yeah they play blue collar team you, you, yeah. you, when you watch Dortmund you feel their camaraderie you know they love their coach and I mean like when they score like they the coach is a fucking player. Like, honestly, yeah. like, Klopp and, and the players respect that. To me, these are two of the best teams to watch in Europe right now. I love I love the style of play. I love the counter. And I was excited for this because I think this is uh, Arsenal's real... I mean, yeah, they played Napoli and whatnot, but this was, I think, their real chance to show themselves against the quality squad. Nobody counters like Dortmund, in my opinion. It was a good game. I know they, they really uh, kept... Uzil at bay. It seems like a certain somebody didn't really show up against Juve. And I, I, I put it, I put Gareth Barry at first and I realized it was Bale, but they kind of played the same. But. Oh, wait, who, who, are, who are we talking about? Who? I don't remember that guy. No. Not at all? No. No, no, like, no flashbacks and uh, haunting memories at all? No. No? All right. no. He hasn't played. Yeah, I don't think he started a match yet, right? And he's been injured for like he had no preseason. He's been injured the whole year. Daniel Levy's just saying thank you very much to to Real Madrid for that eighty-five million dollar paycheck, um, because yeah, you overpaid and now you're seeing it. You know, everybody at Tottenham knew he was very injury prone. If, if yeah. you followed him for the past two three years, this guy has always been taped up on every yeah. part of his body. His shirt came up, you saw tape on his back, sometimes on his neck. This guy, he was always injured. He, he's injured his left ankle before, which is his predominant foot. Is this surprising to me? Not really. And like, I mean, I've read some reports about the, this injury and how it, it is a lingering, you know, the the back injury yeah, and how it's a disc in his back. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes that's with you for life, and yeah, you, you may not even recover fully from that. So, so Chiellini, victim. I'm gonna go off right now. <laughs> okay, like Cristiano Ronaldo 
probably one of the most athletic specimens in humanity. Like yeah. him and GSP, they have negative body fat. Yeah. <laughs> right? And for him to fucking go down like this, it's a mockery of the fucking, of the, of the sport. Especially like an ambassador that he is. And this is, to me, honestly, what separates, or if there's any comparison between him and Messi, right. one of the most, like, the, t- the deciding factors for me is... This thing, that side of his yeah, game, yeah. this like, tarnishes anything for him, and I mean, tarnishes the, the credibility of the sport in, in general, man. When I talk to people who don't watch, who aren't avid footy watchers, what do they say? They disdain the most, the like a dive in yeah. the yeah, acting yeah, yeah. afterwards, and it's just yeah. it's a black eye on the sport, and I want to see it fucking gone, man. But. And the worst part is that not only is it prevalent in the game, but because it, with one of the faces of the game, right, it's so common in in his game. And this play. has gone on with Rivaldo, you know, when right. yeah, the, the corner kick. And whatnot, and I mean other predominant players. Just I don't fucking get it. It's, it's dishonest. You know, I, mean, I miss the I miss the uh, watching like English German games. You know, in the in the in the eighties and nineties. That's tough. One of those hard nosed football. Like that's yeah. like, people don't understand. Like football is a contact sport. Yeah. You know, they don't understand it, but it's like somebody sniping you from, from from the bleachers, you know, and then for them to get back up afterwards and fucking get going to a full sprint, it's just... Yeah, if anybody knows Vinny Jones, just just watch anything on YouTube about Vinny Jones. Like, this man grabbed testicles, like, kicked faces, mm-hmm. like, it didn't fucking matter, you know, and, and... But you know what's funny? This shit, like, they got away with this kind of stuff in the game before, and yeah. you know, that just showed because players were hard-nosed, and they would come back and do something even worse, yep. and you know, and this was the norm, and... You, and no, I don't agree with this kind of stuff. Obviously, nobody wants to see that in the game either. But, you know, that just shows what polar opposites we've gone to in terms of pussies in this sport. Like, it's 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 sad. But you know what? It's endorsed by coaches. So, in fairness to the players, you know what? They, they are doing what their managers tell them. And, and I've seen, I've witnessed this firsthand, even at a youth level. You know, there are coaches who tell their players to take this kind of advantage in the game. And, you know, it starts from, from when people are kids, man. So, it's, you know, it's... And it's, it's contagious, too. Like, uh, yeah. it, seeing teams that never, ever would partake in the charlatan theatrics. Mm-hmm. England and Germany, they were the tough-nosed teams. That, yeah. You know, now you see them, man. They, they, they have floppers, too. And, I mean, it irritates me. It doesn't matter fucking if you're my favorite player. If you take a dive, I will tear one off your back, man. There's no place for the sport. And it's all shrouded in dishonesty, right. you know. And, I mean, if you play fair, then the better team should win. And the thing that I hate is that people are starting to justify it to a degree now. They're like, well, you know, it, oh, it's, yeah. if a player feels contact, he should go down. Like, you hear managers and former players and, and pundits and stuff start, like, they're starting to accept it to a degree. Oh, it's like, no, it shouldn't be if they feel contact that they have to go down. It's like, if it's a foul, if they're actually properly fouled and they go down, that's that's one thing. And, and But it's like, just be run into and feel the contact and, and then fall. And it's almost like an automatic reaction. Like, the yeah. conditioned to do this and it's fucked up like I want diving out of the game as much as Gary Bettman wants fighting out of NHL you know and for people to say that it's part of the game Nothing, nothing irritates me more because it's not part of the game. Well, if uh, if that didn't make you mad, this could bring up some more attention. Cheska Mosca, they were playing at City in Champions League, and Turay reported that there was racist chanting coming from the Cheska fans. Now, this is the thing: is Russia is, is obviously having a lot of political issues as far as with their human rights as it is in in the rest of the political world. But there's also now this with the, with the with the racist chanting, and we have them about to host a World Cup. And then we have Qatar about the host World Cup. Like right now, which one's the bigger joke? Let's go back to the organizations in charge. You know, like we kind of touched on the FA when talking about England. Let's go back to FIFA and the IOC who have given Russia the Olympics and the World Cup. Right. And and let's analyze them a little bit and, and see, uh, you, you know, exactly what we think about the situation. Because 
that's where the problem is. You know, how can you give countries these major sporting events, you know, the two actually the two largest in the world, the Olympics and the World Cup. Yeah. And and for these countries not to have proper like standards of living for I mean, you're having people coming from all over the world, from different cultural backgrounds, and all paths of life, really. You don't know who these people are. Mm -hmm. and, and for them, maybe not even to be accepted, whether you are black or whether you are, like, we've seen this recently when you're talking about Russia with human rights, mm -hmm. about the whole homosexual campaign that's yeah. going on there, and about Putin's law, about, about that. You know, like, these things are, are there's no excuse, really, for, for these kind of laws, you know, and, and to, to kind of, I mean, really, we're endorsing it by saying, oh, yeah, you guys are doing a wonderful job. Why don't we just give you these major sporting events? Like, yeah, fuck, exactly. Yeah, it's great. No, you know, like, we, we shouldn't be endorsing these things, and to think that... Again, it's nothing new. We know how corrupt UEFA, FIFA, and these major soccer governing bodies are. And, you know, every year someone is getting suspended due to their the funds they're embezzling or whatever. And so, to me, it's an absolute joke. Are we still going to watch it? Yes, because we're, you know, we love footy. And it's, it's sad that it, that's the case. Yeah. And we are going to watch it. But I read, a, I read a quote from one of the Cisco players that said, from one of the black players, I'm not sure about his name, but you, it was on the UEFA website saying that he never heard racist chanting. So, now that it brought two things to mind. Does he... Is he so used to it that he doesn't care anymore? <laughs> or did he actually really not hear it? And, and Toure was kind of bringing that up because we all know this happens in Eastern Europe a lot, you know, in the Ukraine and Russia, even in Poland as well. So, like, it's, you know, it's hard to say. And But either way, it's disgusting, obviously. It so, is. And, I mean, tricky. there's always been, like, this kind of canteen culture in these countries. Yeah. Italy, is, Italy, too. It's kind of fucked up. And I feel like, you know, I am going to boycott the Olympics. And I mean, they, that's just me being a human being. Yeah. And I love Olympic hockey, you know? And I mean, but at the same time, it's like, what takes precedence? Is it my belief in human rights? Or, or your, is it a, a game for pure entertainment purposes? And it's just, they're, they're just blank. You know, it's just, I'm waiting for a country to boycott Russia. Okay, like, um, I, I, I can't support her as a human being, you know what I mean? With their fucking homophobic propaganda and no. shit like that. It's just like, what the... F well, with, with boycotting, Toure came out this week and he's claiming that, you know, black players, they'll boycott playing in Russia. And that's the thing, if, if you don't have the players to play the tournament, you're not going to have a tournament. So something needs to be done. And, and it's, I don't think it's that far-fetched to believe that... Uh, that black players would say no. I I, I don't want to go there. How many pl how many black players have already left Russian clubs? Like even though they're being paid millions of dollars, they just they're, they're tired. Like even like Kevin Prince Boy, he like he leaves AC Milan just because he was tired of the racist channel. Yeah, it's sad that players have to wear you know the armband that says say no to racism, and then they're In being this, abused at these yeah. grounds. You know, it's yeah. oh come on. Like are we seriously still not past that? Like I don't know. That was. I, I don't even know. Like, I can't believe that's in my generation, and we're actually talking about this. Like, it, it's embarrassing it to be is, associated with something like this. And I mean, I don't know. I thought we've we've grown leaps and bounds in in, in certain aspects and certain parts of the world. But I mean, you still do have Russia. Fuck, wasn't Putin just nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize because of his intervention with Syria? Yeah, which yeah. With, you know, I mean, that's getting off topic there. Yeah, well, but, I mean, he's imprisoning, time, he's imprisoning to, fucking gay to, people. Just fucking discrimination and prejudice. And I mean, I, I, I don't fucking know. And I'm, I'm waiting for. I mean, nowadays in, in all sports, you are seeing players take a stand and come out, uh, you know, and express their sexual orientation. Right. However, it's still fucking a very hard thing to, for people to accept. Yeah. And it, 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 
It sickens me. I don't know. You should check it. I think it was Hoffenheim that actually has like a like a rainbow flag outside their stadium permanently, yeah. just to support. I, was was it Hoffenheim? I'm pretty sure it was. But they they were in support of uh, Chancellor Merkel coming out and saying that you know we need to support more. Uh, you know, people coming out in, in, in sport in general, but I think she was mostly referring to, to obviously footy and like and soccer in Germany and how you know they want, she wants to see more players come out and have it really you know as a, as an accepting sport. We're seeing these small like progressions in civilized Europe, but no, then yeah, for sure, and this is coming from Germany, and we all know the stigmas behind Germany, Germany yeah. right? And I mean, Russia, they well, like the Cold War and everything like that, but they still hold these ideals. But you know, I want to hear, I want to hear the, the the directors. You know, point of view on this, and not just turn a blind eye to it. You know, it's just it's it's absolutely ridiculous because at the end of the day, these tournaments are a symbol for unity and bringing diverse cultures together. And I mean, that is synonymous with acceptance. Well, and that's that's an interesting point because Seth Blatter came out and said that. Well, gay people, if if you're going to go to you know the Olympics or the World Cup in Russia, you shouldn't have sex to respect that country that you're in. Yeah, yeah, and these are the people who are in charge of the organizations that we support. Which yeah, is, you know, which, that, yeah, no. that that's and, and that's the fucked up part. And you know, we we talked about it again. You know, going back to the FA with England and like you know, the, you know, not to get them involved in this political stuff, but you know, they have their own political nonsense that they deal with, right? And it's it's more inner politics with you know probably nurturing of talent and and whatever. But yeah, it's 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 complete garbage. And you know, it's it's sad because the supporters and the fans are paying for it literally, you know, with their money to go see these matches and yeah. stuff. And yeah, it's it, it's so bad to, to see this still happening. You know. And I mean, is there anything that we can do? I mean, change can come within the system. Mm-hmm. You know, but at the same time. They do a good job at desensitizing you from it. And, and, I mean, it is entertainment at the end of the day, right? Then, I mean, you need to understand. So, some people can't disassociate. Well, maybe the answer is we just play all games behind closed doors forever. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Seriously, yeah. Moving on to a little bit lighter topic. Tottenham defeat the biggest club in the world, Sheriff from Moldova. Ericsson with the delivery, but Tottenham underneath it. And finding the back of the net. First attack for Tottenham, and Jan Vertonghen scores his first goal since March. The captain for the night has put Tottenham in front, and Andre Villas-Boas is smiling. You know what, I, I have a lot of faith in AVB, and I'm not going to sit here like one of those pessimistic negative fans on all these forums online, because I do read a lot of forums, and there are a lot of negative people, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that you, we see these for all teams, right? Like, there's always those people who sit in their bedroom and don't know a lot about football and like to just be negative, as if they could do a better job managing the team or whatever. It takes time, I think, for players to really gel. I was looking at the table, and I know this is a bit off topic because we're talking about Europa League, but I was looking at the Premier League table, and I was saying, you know, at Spurs, we really haven't got out of second gear, and we're in fourth place right now. And, and you look at teams like Arsenal and Liverpool, who are playing the best, that they, you know, that they have in, in recent times, and in all fairness to them, it's beautiful football. But you know, and they're at the top, and we're only three points behind. Right. So it, you know, it's not that bad. But again, you know, we'll go back to the sheriff game because I'm sure we'll touch on that later. The Premier League and whatever. It just it was a poor display of football. Yes, we won because the opposition was poor, but they definitely had their chances too. And it's uh, we need to we need to do something. And you know, I guess you can say, yeah, it was an away match. It's like a 1,300 kilometer trip to to Moldova or whatever. So yeah, maybe factor that in a little bit. No excuses, but. You know, these are all the, the realities. It, it is Europe, a factor right? to a degree, yeah. Jet yeah. lag. Moving into the Premier League, I uh, I know I, I kind of made a little dig at Gus Poyet last week, you know, being the championship manager and all. But all credit, you know, credit where credit's due. Sunderland jump up, 
finally get that first one of the season, and what better way to do it but in the Tyneside Derby? All those Jordies talking, like as if they're still a big club or something. Yeah, <laughs> you just lost to Sunderland, and yeah, that's a great feeling for me. You know, they 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 actually played decent too. I, you know, I was watching them today, and I was like, you know what? Wow, hey, interesting. Where was this all season, right? You know what? Good for them. Are they still going to get relegated? Probably, but you know, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. They're both Crystal Palace now, though. Good for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Fernando Torres. We'll play a little theme music for him right now. Torres is now a god. He is just goal scoring left and right. He's surprising Mourinho with his work rate. How much of an Edric reaction is this? When I view Torres, I mean, I, I look at him pre and post knee injury. Right. Right. I mean, he is starting to show flashes of his old self. But again, at the same time, there's a lot of inconsistencies with him. I mean, he he missed that sitter today. Like. Was five yards away, and I mean, he just skied it off the bar. You know, he fucking puts a beautiful ball on Shula's foot, and I mean, he is showing flashes of brilliance, but at the same time, I don't think he's he's there. And let's be honest, the the, the goal that he did score against uh, against City was clearly Nastasha's oh, fault. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what yeah. a clusterfuck of defending yeah. that. Was. Whose fault was that, though? I mean, I think I think Joe Hart needs to you know shoulder some of that blame too. Yeah, to a degree because he should not maybe come chase that ball down because like let's be honest, it was it was ball played in from like sixty yards away. Yeah, and it wasn't a clear cut breakaway. No, and Nastasha comes in to play the ball and hit it back to him, and for some reason Hart has his uh, you know which seems to be more often than not his little mind fart and. Uh, it, was, it kind of reminded me of some, some Manuel Neuer parts, you know. I mean, it just kind of came out of nowhere. But, I mean, I, again, I don't know who I, who I put the blame on. Like, I, I could, I imagine Hart was screaming, you yeah. know, and communicating to, to, to the defender. But, I mean, why would he head it in that direction? Yeah, you can go left or, like, you can go back to the corner. You can maybe head it, have a look, and maybe you see that, like, Zabletta or somebody is open to the other side of you. But, like, to head it so back I at that pace. That, well, that's another thing, too. I think he, he knew that fucking Hart was going to be... There, I guess there's, there's always been questions about Nastasich, anyways. So. Yeah, there's a uh, you know the the growing topic that we constantly have is Jose and his ever evolving adventures. The first half was was our half. We were better, much better, and it's difficult to be much better than a fantastic team, and they are a fantastic team. This this little thing kind of goes back a couple years when he took over the job from from Madrid. Yeah, and he uh, he had a pretty good dig at Pellegrini at the time because he, he said. Uh, Basically, you know, like P- Pellegrini took the job at Malaga. He's like, I don't understand why he'd go to Malaga. Uh, second is the first loser. If if Madrid were to fire me, I would go to a top club in you know either England or, or Italy. And uh, Josie goes on his little bit of a celebration with Torres' last minute winner. Pellegrini refused to shake his hand after the match. But I think the best part of all of it is is that his son, like Jose, got his son season tickets at Stamford Bridge, and those tickets are right behind the away bench. So how many more times? Are we going to see Jose make a run to the away bench when, when Chelsea scores? I think it's brilliant. <laughs> I don't think it's like political posturing, him getting in, playing a little bit of mind game. But, I mean, that, I thought it was beautiful. You know, I mean, then they have a good, really good camera angle of him running. And you see Pellegrini just... He does it in such a, a nonchalant way, but it's in a way where he's taking a dig at Yeah, And you know it. <laughs> Definitely. Everything with Mourinho is mind games, right? Yeah. From his press conferences to, like, to any situation that is handled through the media or whatever like he yeah of course it's all about mind games but you know what that that's the game he likes to play mm-hmm. if, if you look back like a couple of weeks Spurs and Chelsea game where Torres and, and Bertongan were having their little you know girl fight yeah, yeah. You know, with their claws <laughs> out um you know Marino was loving that that's his kind of game that's what he wants he wants to piss you off and that's how he likes to play his games if you look at any of his Chelsea squads they've always kind of done that stuff 
I mean, they have the personnel to do it, obviously. Cashley Cole and John Terry, you know, the two biggest thugs in English football. But, you know, like, he, he loves that game. You know, he, he plays it all the time. So, hey, it works for him. But what better way to get, you know, to win than get into the head of your opponent, right? So, good for right. him. And it does cause, a little, you know, it's a, it's a shock value at the same time. Sure. And I mean, and it brings a little bit of, you know, a different dynamic to, to the sport. And as I say, it's always, it always helps the game because there's always little talking points. Right. I mean, you know, when I fuck it, you know, I mean, what game isn't fun without, without a little bit of uh, controversy. controversy. <laughs> and speaking of controversy, today AVB... Uh, Comes out taking shots at Spurs supporters. Today they played away from home, so uh, we didn't have the support that we should have had on the game that uh, we needed to win. There was uh, much anxiety being um, present in the fans, transmitted to the players. So this victory is uh, is down to the players, and we did it uh, with no help today. Yeah, he basically just said that today he felt like. Spurs were the away squad, even though they played at White Hart Lane, because the fans were not 100% behind the team, and that, you know, the, the fans really have to start supporting the team. Now, let me just tell you, for about 75 minutes before we got a lucky penalty, uh, we were passing the ball backwards to our center backs more than we were, you know, putting through balls into Soldado. So there was, not that there was negative tactics, not at all. I mean, we were home and we were trying to do something, but, you know, it was the... Po- it was the whole like post Europe, like this Thursday night thing. I definitely see a, a difference in, in Spurs when they play after this Thursday night Europa fixture. Yeah. And you know the, the squad is flat, and even though they they rotated, you know maybe five or six players out of the squad, it just looked flat. And yeah, it was just. Uh, I mean, like it was it horrible was to watch. It was it was horrible. And you know, like again, we got and a lot of. That can dictate so. the the crowd reaction, right? Yeah. Oh, like yeah. it was a lethargic. We just lost to West Ham, you know, like two weeks ago, three yeah. 0 of all teams, you know, and like. I, I, maybe if that didn't happen, I would have agreed with AVB and, you know, saying, yeah, you know, we've only lost to Arsenal this year and, you know, that was only a 1-0 defeat. So, yeah, the, the, the fans are a bit negative. But, you know what, we're, we're playing at home with one striker, not many opportunities created, and it's not that he's playing, with again, with negative tactics, but, you know, there's not a lot of opportunities created. Our goal difference sucks. So, you know, we have a, not a, I wouldn't say it's an issue here, but we, we have a little concern, you know, and let's see where it is, you know, by making a stab at the fans. Within reason, right. but I mean, like, come on, like, the, are the fans that soft? They have free range to say whatever the fuck they want, and I understand it is, you know, these are the, the people who are paying your salary mm-hmm. and whatnot, but I mean, like, come on, are you, are, you, are you really that fucking soft? Like, I could go on about the atmosphere in the ACC, you know? I mean, if you want to draw parallels here to the dead fucking atmospheres, you know, but I mean, why are they, you know, going to be crucified for complaining about their support or lack thereof? Well, and like you say, they're the first people that a couple of bad results are calling for your head, so... Yeah. Oh, you know. no, exactly. So, I mean, come on, like, it's, 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 a, it's a give and take, and I mean, obviously, being a fan, it's more throw you under the bus, you know, I mean... <laughs> they weren't even booing, that's the thing, like, I didn't even see anything that was overly bad, or like, I don't know, I watched the game, I didn't even take notice of any of that, and... You know, usually our fans... I, okay, look. You know, Spurs fans are typical London fans. You, you notice this with, with, with Chelsea, Arsenal, Fulham, all these squads as well. Like, they're Pickle. they're loud when, <laughs> when the team is good. Right. And when the team is not, they're very critical. They're from London. That's that's like a typical mentality of people from London. They're very critical of things when they're subpar. Spurs fans are no different. So there was no booing or anything. It was just... Maybe there was just not as much vocal support as he wanted. Dude, it was Hulk. You know, like... <laughs> yeah. There, there, it's kind of hard to get up against yeah, the There's a lot teams. of... He has to understand. He built a squad of a hundred, you know, over a hundred million pounds. There's a lot of expectation that come along with those big price tags. 
So you have to live up to that now as the manager. You know, you wanted these players in the squad. You want to, you want to manage a team like this. You have to take the things that come along with this. Just yeah, ask, for ask Fergie, sure. you know? <laughs> like, as a supporter, you would expect that a team that you built for that kind of money to play against Hull, mm-hmm. we're expecting more than a, like a late... One nil penalty for the game. Yeah, you know, obviously expectations that come with being big squad and whatnot. But I mean, like the as you alluded to earlier, I mean, the pace does dictate the crowd reaction. Yeah. I mean, that's like going to like a you know listening to a slow song and starting a mosh pit. I mean, you know, you can't you, you know. So I mean, sound like they came out flat and it was bland and it was kind of lethargic. How do you get into a fucking game like that? I know this kind of upsets Art a little bit, but Luis Suarez. Got me 34 points in our fantasy league this week. He is now, he's tied for second place with Aguero with six goals in the league, and Sturge is now on eight goals. Good pace on that. Patrick Suarez. Luis Suarez with his first Anfield hat trick. His fourth for the club, but his first on home turf. I, I, I know it was, it was West Brom. But I mean, these are the kind of games yeah, that like, you should be winning. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and but in, in all honesty, like, these were these were those games where you know they were the banana peels for us a couple of years ago. They were ones that we should be winning. We are winning, and, and now we're finally finally getting some success. And it's nice to see Suarez scoring more and more hat tricks. Right. I mean, these are the games that are going to build his confidence. Yeah. You're a poacher. You get confidence. So it doesn't matter who you score goals against. You know, goals a goal. There's no more rust on his uh, on his boots, and I mean, no. they're fucking they're looking good, man. And I've always had my doubts with Liverpool, you know. I mean, I'm not really a huge Suarez supporter, but I'll never knock his <laughs> skill. Yeah. But I mean, it's kind of as the Cristiano Ronaldo thing with me, you know, his fucking theatrics. But yeah, it's proving to be good for for Liverpool having such a stand in the summertime of deciding to hold on to him and, and making him stay. And I, I'll give him credit, even the fact yeah, too, where he, too, right? he he, he yeah. was on the way out. Yeah. He ended up staying, and now you can see it. Like he's the goals he's scoring, he, he's pl- putting everything on the pitch. So yeah. and they're playing consistent football. I mean, they were like up and down last year. I mean, yeah. like no, you know, I, I was concerned about like how him and Serge were going to, especially with Sturridge being so hot, how they were going to fit into the same formation, and if that would have affected Sturridge's play. And right. you know, it, it's hey man, honestly, awesome for Liverpool that they can they have two players that are scoring yeah. that many goals. Please. Send one of them to Spurs. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> have a chance. So I, I was away this weekend. I, I got to catch some of the games. But when I woke up Saturday morning, I get a text from Jay, and all it says was, ha, 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 man, you. And, and the first thing, when I, first chance I got it, to watch the highlights, and I saw Stoke, and I saw it going 2-2, and damn, I was so pissed when United got that late. Me and him and Sturge are looking fucking good this year. <laughs> the, uh, after they went up 2-1. But I mean, like, fuck, like, I don't know. This is like honestly the typical man. You thought, I mean, they managed to pull out a fucking win. Yeah. They found a way to win, and and they did it. But I mean, like, obviously they're not top of the league. I mean, they are showing some struggles. You yeah. Know? But I mean, Stoke did push them to the, you know, push them to the test. Interesting thing too is that all three of their their big strikers got on the score sheet too. You got Rooney, Van Persie, and Hernandez. Yeah. And I was just quickly looking at some stats just for the hell of it, but. Just looking at goal-scoring records and stuff, but Hernandez, you know, he has trouble getting in the side. He's kind of always been the super sub. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find his substitute appearance record, but uh, games played. So we got Hernandez in 81 games played. He scored 34 goals, which is a 42% return. RVP, of course, 30 goals in 45 games, which is 66%. And then Rooney again, 145 goals in 286 appearances, it's 51%. So it's stats kind of prove that with those guys on the pitch, you should you know, 50% of the time at least expect a goal to come from one of the three of them. It's kind of nice to have that, that amount of riches in, in, in goal-scoring ability. I love Cheech, to be honest. I've always loved him. I think he's great. Like, kind of, it's kind of a throwback to the whole, like, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer kind of 
yeah. vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, of course it's the super sub. It's not the fact that, well, obviously their cultures have nothing to do with each other. But yeah, it's yeah, he's he's awesome. He's a poacher, you know. And I, I love I love those kind of players that just have that eye for goal. And I mean, I love to see him play more, but. In that system, like, you know, who do you play in the head of RVP, Rooney? Yeah, that's that's the real challenge yeah. in there. I, I don't know. When I watch Man U games, I feel like uh, dissension within the team. It just doesn't seem like they're they're molding. And, I mean, rumors are rumors, you know, but you are hearing some, some you know, rumblings from coming out of the Rooney camps, coming out of the RVP camps. Yeah. What, was, what struck me as kind of fucked up is Moyes' comments on Kagawa. And, I mean, how he's just like... I don't understand why they don't use him or how they haven't started using him from the start of the season, but now he's just realizing how good of a player he is and commanding <laughs> it. But, I mean, he's the, to me, on Kugawa, like, I've, like I said, I've been watching this guy since he was with Dortmund. I mean, yeah. this guy can pull a team together, and I mean, he's a phenomenal player. It just seems weird that you, instead of a midfield that doesn't have Kugawa, still has Michael Carrick in it. it yeah. And sometimes Phil Jones. Going into the Bundesliga, uh, be good if Gus was here to talk some of this shit. But uh, we got Bayern eked out against uh, against Berlin. That was a scrappy game. It was. That was a you know. I mean, give Berlin credit. I mean, they're sitting fifth in the Bundesliga. I mean, they they're just recently um, promoted team. You know, from the from second Bundesliga. And I mean, those are the most dangerous teams to play. Yeah. you know, definitely. And it was a Nothing scrappy game. Like yeah. you know, Bayern. It was a horrible game, but I mean, I was out. You know, I was on. Um, on edge the whole fucking game and I mean nothing really worked but really you know those those teams like they play that scrappy style oh, yeah. because you know they, they want Bayern to play or whoever they're playing you know they want them to play down to that level and, and hopefully they can grind something out and they you know, hey they almost did oh yeah for sure and I mean I think there, there's a, some injury concerns there with, uh, with Tony Cruz and yeah. Robin I mean Robin's made out of glass anyways <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know so I don't know regarding that you know I, I want to see Goetze Get started getting regular starters. I think he's earned it. It was yeah. a fun game to watch. Dortmund come out uh, victorious in the Roar Derby. Dortmund uh, 3, Schalke 1. That was an amazing game to watch. Yeah. Back and forth. And, I mean, fucking Prince Boateng missing the uh, missing the penalty kick. And, I mean, he was... He was uh, he couldn't even talk to or look at Weidenfeller in the eyes after that. And, like, <laughs> they, they, well, they used to play together, right? Yeah. It, was, it was back and forth. You know, I thought Schalke was going to uh, take it. But then Dortmund caught him on the counter again. Which seems to be the, the common, it, common denominator with Dortmund at <laughs> any point. Best really. team on the counter, man, I swear. But uh, my highlight of the game was actually the... The substitute for Schalke, Max Meyer. That that kid's gonna be something, man. Yep. Eighteen years old. Leverkusen are keeping uh, keeping the pressure on the top. They've got Bayern's on twenty six points, uh, Dortmund's on twenty five, and Leverkusen on twenty five as well. Fourth place, Mönchengladbach is on sixteen points. Uh, but again, Leverkusen are keeping kept the pressure up against beating Augsburg two one. They actually have some depth here, and I mean you have some some players actually coming in their own you know but I'm more curious to see how they're going to do in the, in the Champions, Champions League. League yeah no the game I actually wanted to talk about was the guard Nuremberg game and the, the penalty kick I don't know if you ever saw it but I no. mean I did, I'm kind of opening up a can of worms here <laughs> in the subjectivity of a penalty shot so basically what happened guys have like the goal line yeah right no chance at all to score and he gets fucking tripped up should that be a fucking penalty 50-50 ball. It's almost out of bounds. That's honestly really tricky. Oh, man. That, there's no hard and fast rule for, like, penalties and stuff. And you know what? I, I, I still think... I think if you read the laws of the game, the argument is, yes, this is a penalty because any... 
remember, a foul can be called off the ball too, right? You don't yeah, have to yeah, have so the ball foul, in order. Foul in the yes, box. like if I if I grab your shirt and neither of us are near the ball, that's still a foul on me, and, and your team is going to be rewarded a free kick in that spot where the foul was incurred. So I think yes, it's still a penalty just by the laws of the game. It's a bit it's harsh in those situations because you know it's not just a free kick; it is a penalty shot. So right. No, no, I agree, but I mean, at the same time, I guess I'm kind of looking at this from a, a probability standpoint, okay, and, and whatnot, but yeah, is it a hard, like, clean-cut rule, like, but I don't think it should be defined by a set perimeter area, but you know, an indirect free kick, fine, you know, I don't want to go start tweaking the fucking tradition, right. you know, the game, and you know, to turn into the fucking NHL. I, I really like indirect free kicks, especially in the penalty area. Yeah, I, I think there's just some calls that are, are not red cards or are not penalty kicks, and... You know, I, I wish we would see the use of indirect free kicks more. I know that, you know, the call is made based on the foul, and based on certain fouls, they are either direct or indirect free kicks. I understand that part of the game, but, you know, I, I think they should really look at adjusting rules using the referee's discretion. And I know that, that again, is opening, like, another kettle of worms, and we'll probably see more fault in this than not. But, you know, if, if we had, like, you know, using the referee's discretion to some things that, you know, we're not so malicious, let's say, in intent, then, you know, we, we, we should use that, because, I mean... Is it really deserving of ruining the game for for a foul or for a, a moment of the game that was you know very small? I don't know. It, right. it's, it's hard. But it segues into like you know my next kind of like point of contention: Should referees be held to disciplinary measures if they fuck up a call? Well, I guess that has you know severe ramifications and could affect the outcome of the game. That there should be something fucking done with these referees and and, and blowing calls. Yeah. You know what we should do? We should just have... It's it's simple. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of back and forth on this issue with the whole, like... You know, forget goal line technology, but actual video technology. You know, we we I think we've talked about this on one of the previous episodes. And and obviously, it's been going around in the football world for years now. Um, It's... You know what? I'll be honest. Like, you know, referees are just like us, and they're all human, and we do make mistakes. And how can you say someone's mistake is not a genuine mistake? You know, I, I don't. I don't want to get into that game of claiming those kind of things. Right, right. It's, it's very tricky, and and then you know we start bringing other things into question, like ego and stuff. And you know, I, I think that's just that'll take away more from football. Like, I think we really do need some kind of like, you know, challenge system, like in tennis. I, I always refer back to tennis because I think it it's done as correctly as it could be done in any professional sport, where you you know you have a challenge system with two challenges, and you know if if that challenge is wrong, then it's taken away from you. And maybe you know we could give even if we really don't want to waste time in soccer we can give one challenge per half or something and i think that is pretty fair for a team to say hey look you know what you know that ball didn't go off that player it went off so no for sure another thing that kind of pisses me off too is you criticize the referee after the fact that it was a blown call Mm -hmm. and you were subject to fines and disciplinary actions and you're just criticizing a call that was blown and I, i i don't i don't see the justice in that and I mean it's just like no stone goes unturned for the managers or the players you know I mean these refs rule with impunity but these guys can't fucking take criticism (laughs) I still think uh, EA should just come out with some sort of video system that calls everything two big games coming on in England this weekend biggest of them first place Arsenal versus third place Liverpool this has ramifications for the top of the table Anthony who do you you want to win uh, Arsenal Liverpool a draw would be nice. <laughs> Truthfully. Nil-nil draw. Boring. Where is it? At the Emirates? or? Yeah, it's at the Emirates, yeah. 
It'll be like a home game for Liverpool because it's not like Arsenal supporters <laughs> sing or anything. Well, they only sing when they're winning, and that's not going to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Well, yeah, I, I heard, uh, you know, recently they've actually been staying past the 80th minute. Imagine that. Arsenal supporters <laughs> staying past the 80th minute to watch your, watch your team because they're actually winning games. Go figure. Then, uh, you said the, the second biggest one is sixth place Everton versus fourth place Tottenham. And Tottenham's going to watch out because Martinez has. Everton playing very, yeah, very, very well, well right now. Yeah. They're actually scoring Lukaku. goals. I don't know. We'll see. This is a this is a big test for both squads. I think maybe for different reasons, but also for many of the same reasons. And it'll be it'll be interesting to say the least. Like I, I hope we really you know take our finger out. Like this is it, it, I don't know. I want to see some some beautiful football. I'm being patient. Like I'll, I'll wait for it. I know it's gonna come. But I mean these are these are big games, and you know this. I, I've just seen it happen. You know, two out of the past three years where, you know, we've gone half or three quarters of the season in that Champions League place and then lose out. So if we're losing points this early in the year, uh, even against top clubs, it's it's not looking good, really. You know, especially when the teams ahead of us are not losing points. So let's see what happens. But Everton's a, a really good squad, a solid squad. And, and again, like you said, Martinez has been playing good football. What are your thoughts on the uh, Liverpool Arsenal? Uh, I think uh, it, it, that that's going to be a difficult match. It really is. That's going to be, that's obviously going to be, we beat United, but we beat United early on when United was really struggling. Uh, Arsenal will be the biggest test we've had so far this season. We've got, we've got two super hot goal scorers right now, so anything can really happen. And Arsenal doesn't always have the best defense. It's just a matter, can, can Gerard and, and, you know, maybe Henderson, can we, you know, take Ozil the game? Because if we can do that, you know, our, our attack might have a chance. I love the way Liverpool's playing, you know, with like a 3-5 two kind of like yeah. setup or whatever and yeah it's, it's good to see some like attacking football and it's great three at the back yeah. I love it yeah Murda Sacker too he's hit or miss you know I mean yeah. oh fuck the guy turning radius of a t- well, that's the thing. Either either of Suarez or Serge on the ball against Murtazacker in the box, he's not going to be able to keep up yeah. with all their little moves. So. Don't fuck. <laughs> if, if, if Suarez bites Ramsey, I'll become a Liverpool supporter. <laughs> I promise you. That would end our, our title challenge. <laughs> that, that will be the key, right? Is keeping Ozil out of the game. Absolutely. I mean, I obviously, does Gerard have the, the fitness to... I mean, Ozil, that guy doesn't stop running. No. And right, but Dorman did. I mean, yeah, Bender, that guy can run fucking a marathon, you know, and, and just kind of take him out. But Gerard's pretty be... fit for a 32-year-old guy, but yeah. he's a 32-year-old guy. So. Yeah. Uh, then the last little bit here in the Bundesliga, we have second place Dortmund versus eighth place Stuttgart. Stuttgart. I still think it's a big match. Like I remember what, a few years ago, it was about well, not a few, it was about four or five years ago. My sister went to Stuttgart for like some I don't know school shit, and <laughs> so I kind of just became I wouldn't say a Stuttgart fan, not at all. But you know, she bought me back a T-shirt and shit, and like I kind of had this like little connection. Like the 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 real real only thing I've got, the only connection I've had to any kind of German team, just because I've never you know. My, my main interest has never been the Bundesliga. So, yeah, I mean, Stuttgart, you know, they won the Bundesliga, what, like maybe six six years ago? Yeah, yeah. Not, not that long ago, right? I mean, and so, uh, yeah, they don't have the squad they obviously did back then. You look in Germany and, like, anywhere in, in the top half, half of the table, like, you know, it's, it, yeah. it's entertaining every week and it's it's really nobody's game. No, so. you're right. And I mean, even with fucking, I mean, like Berlin taking Munich to the test and even like the week before that Mainz like getting the upper hand on, on Munich earlier so I mean it is an unpredictable league I mean every sport has a level of unpredictability to it but I find that like the deltas in the Bundesliga it, it's 
very difficult to predict. And I mean, Stuttgart, they're kind of a, they're a hit or miss team too. They're in the middle of the pack right now, but again, Dortmund, Dortmund's good. Well, you have to predict this one. First place Bayern, ninth place Hoffenheim. Fuck, man. Hoffenheim, they're a fun team to watch, you know, but I mean, well, fucking all, in Hoffenheim, they fucking, let, they score a lot of goals, they also let in a lot of goals, but I mean, this should be a, a, a keg over, I want to kind of see what Pep's going to do with the lineup, and one up, but I'll say 3-1, no, no, clean sheet, 3-0. Leverkusen, obviously, I'm going to have to hope for I'm either of these teams uh, to, to have a bit of a slip-up, because they could, you know, make a good push this weekend, because they are facing last place, Eintracht, one well, just recorded their first win of the Bundesliga, but I mean, again, this should be a cakewalk. I mean, the, the Braunschweig, fun to watch games there, but this isn't, this is actually uh, not there. It's another cruising. <laughs> well, it should be a pretty fucking easy game for them. I mean, this, this is a horrible team. It's probably uh, the verge of relegation. And considering uh, how well Leverkusen are playing now, too. Yeah. Well, let's put that time. Arbzanski. TFC. What, what's, what's going on with these guys all of a sudden? Give me the mic here. <laughs> TFC won their first, were in their uh, first match. <laughs> I think it was, a, it was the last match of the MLS. But, yeah. but they are, of course, still shit. Tell us about this new little uh, footy app. So I came across this little social app on Reddit the other day. Uh, it's an app for pickup football worldwide. Like if uh, you were to look for pickup in your city and you can find friends that want to set up a game or, I don't know, already playing. Like if you want to travel to other cities, like for example, you fly over to San Fran and are in desperate need of a quick pickup match. I don't know. You, how do it's you like grinder? Me- <laughs> <laughs> like grinder for soccer? Yeah. You can even jot down like how you play, how your friends did. That's fucking pretty. Cool. So can you meet That's other people cool. like randomly, like and say you know like let's have a pickup game at, the, at this field or yeah, totally. yeah. like a flash pickup game? <laughs> so it's a uh, this, this is a Kickstarter. Yeah. So the website's jogobo.com and. I guess they'll forward you to their Indiegogo site with a lot more info. I mean, it says here there's 20 days left to contribute. Yeah, donate. We'll uh, get this app made, and then uh, we can all all play some footy together. Have a happy, safe, and happy Halloween. Yes. I did my best <laughs> zombie impersonation today. <laughs> oh, I'm carving pumpkins tomorrow, man. Well, that's episode of 5 Footy Chat. Uh, remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Footy Chat Canada. Uh, our also website is thefootychat.podbean.com Justin Chambers saying goodbye for Jason K Anthony Rondo NRP 